You know, Jesus said, unless you come like a little child, you can't come into the kingdom of God. I want to say good morning to those of you who are here on this rain-drenched, time-change Sunday. Pray for me. I love Time Change Sunday once a year, and I hate it once a year. Guess which one I hate? But I'm glad that you're here. I want to say good morning to those at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online. Um, I want to challenge you with a thought. There is a difference between what you say you believe and believing what you say you believe. People do it all the time. We, we say we believe something, but do we really believe what we say that we believe? Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to put a statement up on the screen, and I'm convinced that the vast majority of you will say, well, yes, I believe that statement. So as you read the statement, I'm not asking you, do you believe it? I believe the vast majority of you believe it. My question is, do you believe what you say you believe? Here's the statement. If you really believe in the redeeming and transforming power of God's presence in a person's life, if you really believe that your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers would be far better off forever if they knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then the single greatest gift you can ever give to someone is an explanation of how to be rightly connected to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I guarantee you, if I asked you know, to raise your hands, even if you didn't believe it, you'd be ashamed to admit you didn't believe it. And you'd say, yeah, of course, I believe that. And I believe the majority of followers of Jesus believe that. I believe the vast majority of people that come to church believes that. So that raises this question. If we really believe it, then why is it that 90 to 95% of people who call themselves followers of Jesus never Share their faith in Jesus with anybody. I mean, if we really believe what we just read, then why is it that 99 to 95% never share their faith in Jesus with anybody? I've racked my brain, and I believe deep down, much of it comes back to motivation. Because the truth of the matter is, regardless of the source of what, motiv or what, motivation, what motivates you, it might be love, it might be guilt, it might be fear. Here's what I've learned. When our motivation reaches a certain level, we take action. When, when our motivation hits a trigger point, we are motivated to do even more than perhaps what we think we could do. I read it the other day about a drunk man, and he left a bar, and he was walking back to his home, and he decided to take a shortcut through a graveyard. Well, it was raining cats and dogs like it is today, and it was pitch black dark, and he didn't see this open grave that was right in front of him, and he fell right into it. Well, he tried to climb out, but the rain had made the sides of the grave, you know, slick and, and, and muddy. And he was trying to climb up, but he just couldn't get, you know, get out of the grave. So he just kind of sat down and he went to sleep. Well, there was a man who worked in a factory not far from there, and he used to walk back and forth to work. And he worked the, uh, the actually worked what we call the graveyard shift, so to speak. And so about an hour later, he had worked late at night, and he decided he'd take a shortcut on the way home through the same cemetery. And, and as it worked out, he fell into the same open grave that the drunk man had fallen into before. Well, he starts frantically clawing and climbing, trying to get out. He had the same problem. And after about an hour, he was breathing, hyperventilating. He was just absolutely exhausted. And he sat down convinced, I'm going to have to spend the night here. I don't even know I'm going to get out of here. 
And about that time, out of the dark, he heard a voice say, you can't get out of here. But he did. Now, <laughs> motivation is a powerful thing. And when your motivation hits a trigger point, you can do more than you think you can do. As a matter of fact, motivation is the fuel that drives activation. Motivation is the fuel that drives activation. When you are sufficiently motivated, you will take action. Look, the best diet in the world will never help you lose weight until you're motivated to practice it. The best book in the world will never be read unless you're motivated to open it. The greatest message in the world will never be heard until you're motivated to share it. It all comes back to really being motivated. Now, the reason why the early church exploded in growth, and it did, and it multiplied across countries and continents, even though it didn't have money, it didn't have influence, it didn't have buildings, it didn't have budgets, it didn't even have a Bible. But the reason why the early church exploded in growth is because ordinary people were transformed by Jesus and they were so transformed, they were motivated to share with others how they could also be transformed by Jesus. It all came back to motivation. It was what I call the X factor in the growth of the early church. And that's the series we're gonna be, be entering into right now. We're gonna be in for the next few weeks. Now, Bruce just mentioned a moment ago, our mission statement is to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. That's what our church is all about. That's what we're here to do, to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. I want us to be a church that prays for lost people. I want to be a church that pursues lost people. I want to be a church that, pray, that practices sharing the gospel with people who are far from God. So let me just kind of give you up front what we're going to be doing the next three weeks, and I hope you will not miss any, any of these next three Sundays. I'm going to do everything that I can with God's help to motivate us to be the X factor that can take us as a church that can take uh, uh, us as individuals to another level in leading others to experience life beyond belief. And here's what I'm gonna do for you. We're going to put a tool into your hands. It is a simple tool. It is a reproducible tool. It's gonna to be a tool that we're gonna to give to our children. We're gonna give it to our middle schoolers. We're gonna give it to our high schoolers. And we're gonna give it to our adults that we can learn to use. And it will help us to do what we said we believe we ought to be doing, and that is giving the greatest gift we'll ever give to anyone, which is an explanation of how they can be rightly related to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. However, tools are useless unless you're motivated to use them. So just like any tool, you can deep six it, throw it in the garbage, put it in a drawer, put it under a desk, Put it somewhere you won't see it anymore. It all comes back to motivation. That's why today I want to talk about a man. His name was Paul. Paul was, by all accounts, the most motivated, the most celebrated, and the greatest sharer of the gospel that the world has ever seen. And when you study the life of the apostle Paul, you realize he had that X factor. That's what we're talking about. He had that X factor. And the passion that he had and the motivation that he had 
we understand because he tells us about it in a letter that he wrote to a church in Rome. If you brought a copy of God's Word and want to look on with us, we're in the book of Romans, chapter 9. It's an easy book to find, really. It's in the New Testament. It's six books over, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. We're in Romans chapter 9. Now, what Paul says is so amazing. I'm going to just go ahead and say this. There are certain things in the Bible that happen and it's hard to believe. And you go, you know, if I didn't believe in God, I'd just find it hard to believe that really happened. Well, there's one of, this is one of those things that somebody said, and I just find it hard to believe. I just find it hard to believe that not only that Paul said it, I find it hard to believe that Paul meant it. And there are three passages or three questions in this passage we're going to look at today that will determine whether or not our attitude is the following. When you think about people who are far from God, when you think about people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm talking about your neighbors, I'm talking about your friends, I'm talking about the people you work with, the people you shop with, the people you fish with, the people you play golf with, the people you go out to eat with, I'm talking about people you're akin to and people you're not. You have one of two attitudes toward those people. Let's be honest. Your attitude either is, I couldn't care less whether they ever know Jesus or not. Or your attitude is, I couldn't care more about whether or not they know Jesus or not. And three questions will determine where you are on that scale. Number one, am I conscientiously aware of people without Jesus? Now, I want you to pretend right now, just for the next few minutes, you're not looking at me. You're looking in a mirror right now. You're looking in a mirror. You're talking to yourself. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I conscientiously aware of people without Jesus? Now, Paul makes an unusual statement. In fact, it's so unusual that in all the letters that Paul wrote, you know, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. He says something in this letter that is so strange and it's so weird. As a matter of fact, He never comes close to making this statement anywhere again, anywhere in any of his letters. This is what he begins by saying. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. I have a bad habit with Teresa, and she catches at me all the time. We'll be talking, and I'll say this. I know you've done it before. I'll say to her, can I ask you an honest question? And she'll look at me, and she'll say, no, ask me a dishonest question. I mean, what other question are you going to ask, right? Well, Paul, nowhere else does Paul ever feel like, I've got to defend my truthfulness. I've got to defend my veracity. I've got to make sure you understand, I'm really not lying. And the reason he does what says this, he knows that he's about to say something that is absolutely going to sound so unbelievable that nobody will really take him seriously. So he says this both positively and negatively. He says, look, I'm telling the truth. What I'm about to say, I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. And he's about to share how desperately he wants his Jewish brothers and his Jewish sisters to come to know Jesus and have put their faith in Jesus. And to make sure he's believed, to make sure that they take him at his word about what he's going to say, he goes on to add this. He says, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He says, let me tell you what I'm about to tell you. I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but I want you to know right now, my conscience is clear. I know I'm telling you the truth. I know what I'm about to share with you. I really honestly mean, I really have a burden for people without Jesus. And I mean, you're not going to believe how big my burden is. So again, I want you to ask yourself this question. 
If I really said, I have a burning passion for people without Jesus to come to know Jesus, would I be telling the truth? Now remember, you're talking to a mirror. So I want you to ask yourself that question right now. You know, if I were to say to just, if I were to say to my pastor, or if I were to say to the person sitting next to me, if I were to say somebody to somebody in my family, I want to tell you, I've got a burning passion. I've got a desire in my heart that people come to know Jesus. Would I be telling the truth? Be honest. I mean, would I really be telling the truth? In other words, is the way that we live, the activities we involve ourselves in, the way we conduct ourselves, are we really showing unbelievers that we care about them? Would people on the outside look at us and, and, and look at the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves? Would they just know that we've got a burden? Would they know that we've really got a passion for people to come to know Jesus? I was reading something the other day that really fascinated me. I was reading about these nomads that, that live in the desert. Uh, we're going to Israel here in two or three months. Some of you are going with us. And, and you'll see this over in, uh, uh, in Israel. When we go down to the Dead Sea, you'll see where they're called nomads. I don't know how they live. They, they live in tents. They live in, in the desert all their life. I don't know where they find food. I don't know where they find water. It's an amazing thing. But they live all their life in the desert. I was reading about these nomads. And, and the way that they survive in the desert is their ability to become expert trackers. They never get lost in the desert, never. They always know where they are and they know, to how, they know how to find people who are also lost. Now this, this just blew me away, this really fascinated me. An expert nomad can squat down beside a set of camel tracks and he sees those tracks just like a fingerprint, a fingerprint expert sees fingerprints. He can look at, at, at a camel track and he can, he can identify the, by the marks that camel leaves in the sand an individual animal that he knows and recognizes, and he may not have seen that animal for years. He can recognize, oh, that belongs to that camel or, or this belongs to that camel. Oh yes, I remember that camel. Listen to this, this blew me away. They can read by a person's footprints how fast they're traveling, what condition they're in, whether or not they may be in a hurry because of some crime that they've committed or some law that they've broken or some situation they've got to get to. And they have a saying, I want you to listen to this. They say a man's conscience is reflected in his tracks. The desert and the tracks cannot lie. I thought that was so fascinating. They said, we can just look at the tracks you make in the sand and we can know so much about you, the condition you're in, how fast you're going, whether or not you're in a hurry, whether or not you're scared. And man, I read that, I thought to myself, by the tracks that we leave behind in our everyday life, by the way we interact with people, would our conscience bear witness that we cared to even find out whether or not someone knows Jesus? Does your conscience right now bear witness that you are constantly aware that there are people out there without Jesus who need Jesus? And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, I have great sorrow, now listen to this word, and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul said, there's a burden on my back and there's a grief in my heart and I never get rid of it. I wake up with it. I go to sleep with it. I eat with it. I walk with it. Everywhere I go, it follows me and it goes with me. And my burden and my care and my grief is over people without Jesus. Now, we all have got concerns. Everybody's got problems. I get that. We've all got concerns. 
Some of you in here, you know, I've talked to a lady just a while ago, and I, I hurt for her. She's got a real family concern, and it's a, it's a real concern. And we all have concerns. We, some of us have financial concerns. Some of us have emotional concerns. Some of us have relational concerns. Some of us have physical concerns. There are a lot of people that have political concerns. But I want to ask you a question, and it's a very honest question. Do we really have a spiritual concern for people who are going to spend eternity without God? Do we really have a spiritual concern for people who are going to spend eternity without God? Do you know what I believe ought to break our hearts? I believe what ought to break our hearts is whatever breaks the heart of God. Whatever, whatever breaks the heart of God ought to break my heart. And I want you to listen to this. Nothing breaks the heart of God like people without God. Nothing breaks the heart of God like people without God. So the question I'm asking is very simple, very honest, okay? Look in the mirror. You're talking to yourself now. Ask this question. Am I consciously aware of people without Jesus? In other words, are people without Jesus even on the radar of my heart? That's question number one. Question number two, do I continuously care about people without Jesus? You, you can be aware that people are, are, are without Jesus, and most of us are. We think about it from time to time. But do we really care continuously about people without Jesus? See, Paul's heart for people without Jesus was broken. And it stayed that way. The burden never left him. Paul said, you know what? There's something I never take a vacation from. I never take a vacation about caring whether or not people know Jesus. So I'm gonna read this statement again. I have great sorrow, not just a pain every now and then. I've got great sorrow. I've got unseeking anguish, anguish that never goes away in my heart. Paul had this concern. Paul had this burden. Paul had this anguish about people that were going to face eternity without God. And he said, it never left my heart. It stuck to me like super glue. Now, I'm gonna be honest. I'm where a lot of you are. If you're like me, you run hot and cold. I'll be honest, I do. I mean, it's easy to hear a testimony like we heard a moment ago or, or it's easy, you know, when, when somebody who has come to Jesus gives their testimony or we see someone get baptized who recently came to faith in Christ and it's kind of easy, man. You kind of get fired up about that. But you know, it just happens. Before you know it, the fire goes out and it's easy to let, you know, get caught up in the busyness of life and the things that really don't matter and we tend to forget about the only thing that really does matter and that is whether or not a person has a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something. You know what I've learned? And this is such a danger for some of us in the church. It is so easy for us, listen now, it is so easy for us to think about things that are spiritual. It's not that they're they're bad. We may think about about things that are spiritual but just totally forget about people who are not even in the spiritual ballpark. It's easy to think about things that are, that are spiritual and, and they're biblical and they're even godly, but then forget about people who don't even know what a Bible is and have no clue about who God is. I, there was about, this has been about four or five weeks ago, 
a man came to see me, made an appointment. I never met the guy. I didn't know I'd met the guy. But he, he, he said there was a connection between him and, and the Greg Laurie crusade that we had here about a year and a half ago. And, and so he made an appointment. He came in to see me. And I found out that, that uh, you know, we had met just briefly about a year and a half ago over here at the Gwinnett Center, at, at, you know, during this crusade. So he sat down. And I said, well, how can I help you? And he said, well, uh, you know, God had given him this ministry. And, and he was looking for a church that would give him a platform for this ministry. Well, uh, when he said that, I said, well, have you tried to launch your ministry in other churches? And he told me there were a couple of other churches that, uh, you know, that I knew about. And he said, they, they turned me down. And he said, but I heard a lot about your church and heard you're a good church and a sweet church. So I thought I'd give you a shot. You know, I said, okay. So I said, uh, what, tell me about, you know, what is your ministry? He said, well, it's a great idea. I said, well, what is your idea? He said, here's my idea. He said, I, I love, I'm a video, videographer. He said, I, I love to work with, with cameras. And he said, what I want to do is, is I want to start videoing people who have come to know Jesus. And I want to video uh, them and so they can use their video to show to other people, to encourage other people who have come to Jesus to go deeper with Jesus. I said, let me get this straight. So you want to video people who know Jesus, who have a walk with Jesus, so that they can use the video that, that you shoot of them to show other people who know Jesus so they can go deeper with Jesus. He said, yeah. And he said, you see, I'm really into discipleship. That's what he said. I'm really into discipleship. I said, Okay. I said, well, let me, can I ask you a couple of questions? He said, yeah. I said, so I said, uh, I'll just call him Charlie. I said, so Charlie, um, wh where have you been going to church? And he said, well, nowhere regularly. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I, I just kind of been visiting, you know, visiting. I, I'm looking around for a place where I can have a platform for my ministry because I'm really into discipleship. I said, okay. I said, now, do you have a family? And he says, well, yeah, I, I have a wife and I have two teenagers. And I said, well, where have they been going to church? He said, well, uh, they haven't. I said, well, um, so is your wife a believer? I'm about to tell, listen, I could not believe what he said next to me. I couldn't believe it. I said, is your wife a believer? He looks at me and he says, uh, well, you'd have to ask her. I said, I'm asking you. He said, well, you'd have to ask her. I said, well, um, well what about your teenagers? You got two teenagers. Are they believers? He says, uh, well, I, I'm not sure about one, and I don't know about the other. I said, let me get this straight. Let me make sure I've understood what you said to me today. So you're really into discipleship. He said, yeah, I'm into discipleship. And I said, and you don't even know if your family has a relationship with Christ. Well, he got that deer caught in the headlight looks, you know, like somebody hit him in the head with a brick. I said, Charlie, can I give you some advice? He said, well, yes. I said, maybe your biggest platform for ministry ought to be going back to your home and finding out where your family is with Christ. Maybe the biggest platform that God has given you is instead of worrying about getting other people's testimonies on video, you ought to be more concerned that rather than getting their testimony on video, that your family gets Jesus into their heart. Now, you might think, Man, I can't believe you had to tell a guy that. Hey, we're all there. We're all there. So many of us. 
Oh, we, you know, we, we, how many of us, man, I love to study the Bible. I, I, I've got, a, I go to, a, I go to a Wednesday night women's Bible, sir, Wednesday morning women's Bible study. I love to study the Bible. Oh, I love to talk about the things of God. You know, I'm really right, I'm really big right now. I'm reading a book by so-and-so and I'm reading this book by so-and-so and I'm listening to all these podcasts and I'm learning so much about the Bible and that's all well and that's all good and I'm so glad you're doing that. But oh, in the meantime, what about all these people out there without Christ? Are they even on your radar screen? Do you even think about them? Are they anywhere in your mind or anywhere in your heart? See, I believe the gospel of Jesus ought to be like a spiritual tune you can't even get out of your head. And I really believe that our passion for people without Jesus and our love for Jesus ought to permeate the way that we live. It ought to saturate the words that we use. It ought to infiltrate the work that we do. So now look into the mirror and ask yourself this question. Do I continuously care about people without Jesus? Am I conscientiously aware? Is my radar on? Am I always thinking when I meet someone, do they know Jesus or not? Are they saved or not? Are they a part of the family of God or not? Am I consciously aware? And then do I continuously care about people without Jesus? And then, of course, that leads to the third question, which is, will I compassionately share with people without Jesus? Will I compassionately share with people without Jesus? Now, we're going to get to this part now where Paul's going to tell us what he's going to say that you're going to find so hard to believe. Remember, he just said, hey, what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears with the Holy Spirit that I am telling you the truth. Well, what Paul is about to assert, I want to tell you, even though the great apostle Paul says it, and even though the great apostle Paul says, on this Bible, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Even though he is saying it, you're going to find yourself, I, I really believe this, you're going to find yourself shaking your head and going, I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. I, you can say it all you want to. I just don't believe that. Because what he says next is something I believe that he meant. I take him at his word. However, I find it hard. Every time I read it, I go, Paul, I believe you, but I just find it so hard to believe what you said because nobody else ever in the Bible except one time, man named Moses, nobody else ever said anything like this. Listen to what he said. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Now, let's let that settle for a minute. It's absolutely one of the most fascinating things, not just that Paul ever said, anybody ever said. As a matter of fact, when I studied this passage, I've got you know, a lot of commentaries in my library. More than one scholar, more than one commentator, they, they were struggling to try to understand these words in some way other than what he said. They were trying to give it a different kind of meaning. Of meaning. Because I'm going to be honest, the first time, I can remember as a boy, the first time I read this and I really understood it, when I read it, you know what I said to myself? All right, one of two things is true. He really didn't mean what he said or he really didn't say what he meant. I don't know which is true, but he really didn't mean what he said or he did not say what he meant. Because let me tell you exactly what he said. Let me put it in, in, in just blunt terms. Paul said, I would be willing to go to hell if it meant that my Jewish brothers and sisters would go to heaven. 
I would be willing to give up my salvation if it meant they would get salvation. I would be willing to give up my relationship to Jesus if I knew it would bring them into a relationship with Jesus. There's one thing you got to say. Nobody in the world more than Paul wanted the Jews to accept Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior and their Lord. Every time I go to Israel, every time that plane touches down in Tel Aviv, every single time, I think about this passage of Scripture. I think about all the Jewish people in Israel and around the world. They don't, have, they, they don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to know about Jesus. I mean, they're, 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 I mean for the most part, they're just not, they're not going to listen. They don't want any part of it. And I think about what Paul said, because let me tell you what makes this statement more amazing. If you don't know your Bible, let me just kind of catch you up. As much as Paul loved his Jewish brothers and sisters, as much as he loved them, they hated him. He was their best friend. They thought he was public enemy number one. You say, if you don't know why, let me explain real quickly. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. When Saul was Saul, he was 100% Jew. He was the chief persecutor and the chief prosecutor of the church. Nobody hated Jesus more than he did. Nobody wanted to put out the fire of Christianity more than he did. And at one time, he was the hero of the Jewish nation. But then Saul met Jesus, and his life was totally transformed. And overnight, he went from persecuting the church and prosecuting the church to preaching the gospel to the church. And I mean instantly, he became Jewish public enemy number one. Paul would go from city to city preaching the gospel and planting churches. Jews would follow him. They would stir up mobs to beat him. They'd get him arrested. They'd drive him out of those cities. They would even, even send teachers in right behind him to try to disrupt the work he had planted. They put a contract out on his life. 40 Jews took an oath and said, we're not gonna eat anything else. We're not gonna drink anything else until this man is dead. We're gonna give our life to hunting this man down and we're gonna kill him where we find him. He had a contract out on his life. He had posters all over the place saying, wanted dead, forget alive. We want him dead, nailed to every tree in Asia Minor. He was Benedict Arnold to the Jewish people. He was the greatest traitor to Judaism who ever lived. They despised Paul more than they despised pagan Gentiles. They couldn't even stand the sight or the thought of him. He was the arch enemy of the nation of Israel. He was Lex Luthor to Superman. They even got him beheaded in Rome. They finally wound up getting him killed. And yet Paul said, I love you so much. I have such an anguish and a burden in my heart for you. I would forfeit my own salvation if it would deliver you from God's condemnation. Now, Paul knew what he was asking was impossible. He, he knew that. And, and he also knew that going to hell wouldn't do them any good. If he went to hell, it wouldn't mean they'd get saved anyway. But what he was saying was this. He was saying, you know what? I am so conscientiously aware of people without Jesus. And, 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 and I so continuously care about people without Jesus that I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I will pay any price to share compassionately with people without Jesus. Now, I'm gonna be real honest. 
I have never come to that place in my life. I, I have never come to the place in my life where I've said, now I would go to hell if it meant that someone else would go to heaven. I've never come to that place and I don't think I ever will, but I will tell you this and God knows my heart. I don't, but God knows it. I want that kind of passion. I want that kind of burden. I want that kind of anguish. I want that kind of heart. Now, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I just don't understand how Paul could say that. I'll tell you what finally hit me. I do understand it. Here's why. The reason why Paul could say that and the reason why Paul could mean it is because he was so full of Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did. If you don't understand this, I want you to hear me. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our hell so we could take his heaven. He took our condemnation so we could receive his salvation. Jesus went to where he did not want us to go so we would never have to go there. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus went to where he did not ever want us to go so that we would not have to go there. See, unfortunately, our problem is there are just too many times that all of us really do seem to have this attitude. I do. I just couldn't care less about people without Jesus. Paul said, I just couldn't care more about people without Jesus. I, I, I care so much. I'm under such a burden. I'm in such anguish. I just cannot have more of a burden. I cannot have more anguish. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you my, my, my thinking on something. I wonder why more people don't come to Jesus. Because I've been a follower of Jesus most of my life, almost, almost all my life since I was nine years old. And the more I follow Jesus, the more I fall in love with Jesus. And the closer I walk with Jesus and the longer I walk with Jesus, the better it gets with Jesus. I can't even, I, I can't imagine life without Jesus. I, I, I really can't. And so it, it, I wonder, this life is so rich and it's so sweet and it's so good and it's so wonderful. And it's got all the benefits you'd ever want. It gives me meaning in life. It gives me purpose in life. It allows me to look forward to the time when I know I'm going to die, but I don't fear dying because I know I'm going to a better place and I know I've got a destiny beyond me. And I know I'm forgiven of all of my sins and I know I'm right with God. And I go to bed every night with a clear conscience. And I wonder, why don't more people want what I have? I'll give you a thought. I think the reason why we've got so many people who really don't care much about the Jesus that we say we believe in is because we don't care very much about them or at least enough to share Jesus with them. So let me put it to you this way. You believe in Jesus, but I don't. Okay, you believe in Jesus, but I don't. You live next door to me. And you never share Jesus with me. You never build a relationship with me. You never one time take the opportunity to tell me about the news that radically changed your life. 
Can you tell me why I would care about that, Jesus, if that's all you care? So let me get this straight. You care so much about this Jesus and you care so much about this relationship you have with Jesus that you won't even share it with me? You won't even talk to me about it? So you have a perfect opportunity today, beginning today, to show how much you care about people who don't know Jesus. Easter weekend is coming in just three weeks. Hard to believe that, right? Easter weekend is coming in just three weeks. Now listen, in the lobby today, there's a table. You can't miss it. We put it in a door. You'll have to fall over it to get out of here, okay? Did that on purpose. We've got, we got all kinds of information. I just want to show you one thing. We've got these packets out there on tables, all right? Here's what I want you to do. There's, I'm holding this in my hand right now. I want you to challenge you to pick up not just one, but several of these. Let me tell you how good this packet is. There's enough information in here for you to invite 10 people to Easter. 10. I mean, there's everything in here. There, there are postcards you can write. There are cards you can give out. There, there, there's information that you can leave. I'm gonna ask you to pick up several of these packets today, and I want you to use these with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people that you work with. I want you to empty this packet. You'll see there, there's postcards, there's an invite card, there's a social media, there's door neighbors, there's a way you can egg your neighbor, not literally, there's a way you can egg your neighbor. And what we're gonna ask you to do is this. I want you to identify five people, five neighbors, five friends, five people you work with, and all I want you to do is take one of these things in this packet and simply invite them, and at least for the first time, let somebody know I care enough about you to invite you to church on the greatest day of the year. Now, many of you have heard of, a, of this famous magician. His name is Penn Jillette. If you don't know who he is, Penn Jillette is a, is, is a magician. He's really a good one, but he's also an atheist. And I mean a strong atheist. And wherever he goes, he speaks against belief in God in general and Christianity in particular. Well, on his blog, he shared the story of he was in a place sometime and he'd done his show. And after the show was over, he sometimes will hang around and let people meet him. And so he's up on the stage and he noticed there was a man kind of standing off to the side, patiently waiting. So finally, most everybody cleared out. This man came up to him and he gave him a Bible uh, as a gift. And the man was very bold. He told him, he said, I want you to know that I love you. I love your show. He said, matter of fact, uh, this is the third time I've been to your show. I really do enjoy it. I've been to two different cities to watch you. And I, I, I really, every time you're in town, I'm gonna come see you. I, I just want you to know, I am praying for you. I know you're an atheist. I'm praying for you. And I'm really praying that you'll come to Jesus. And here is a gift of a Bible. Gillette was so touched and so respectful of this man caring enough to do this, he posted this video on his blog. I want you to listen to what he said. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, 
that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about? Forget about loving them enough to tell them. Forget that. Did you hear what he just said? How much do you have to hate a guy like me to keep Jesus to yourself? How much do you really have to hate somebody to say, I've got eternal life. Nah, 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 nah. Get it for yourself. I'm not being funny because that's exactly what we do. When you don't share Jesus, that's exactly what you do. You may say, I, I don't like you putting it that way. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. And the reason why I'm, 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 I'm so passionate, because I get it. Trust me, I get it. I'm about to say I'm just being very transparent. It gets weary for a pastor. Believe me, I've been doing it a long time. It gets weary when you preach your heart out and it doesn't seem to make any difference. It gets, it gets tiresome. When, when, when you, you know, you'll talk about, for example, giving. You talk about what God says about giving, knowing that the majority of people who aren't giving still aren't going to give. It, it gets discouraging. Or you talk about prayer and, and you talk about how God answers prayer and God does things only in answer to prayer, but those people that don't pray just not gonna pray. And, and, and how God can change your life if just every day you'll read your Bible and just get into God's word. But the people that don't read their Bible, they walk out of here, they're not gonna read their Bible. It gets weary. And I know I can't make you do anything, but I'm gonna do everything I can to make you uncomfortable in not doing something. I don't understand, I never will understand people who say they know Jesus and they love Jesus and they have joy in Jesus and they're so glad they've got eternal life and Jesus has changed their life and never share it with anybody. I, I, don't, I'm just, I don't get it. Now, here's the only thing I can do. I can't give you the motivation to do it. That's gotta come from God. And I certainly can't make you do it, and I wouldn't if I could. It wouldn't mean anything. Here's what I can do. What we're going to do over the next three weeks is I'm going to take one excuse out of your hand. So I don't know what some of you will do. You're going to say, okay, I just won't come the next two weeks. Okay, that's fine. You're, you're one of those people I was just talking about anyway, so it doesn't matter. What I'm going to do in the next two weeks, I'm going to make a promise. Nobody that comes the next two weeks will ever again be able to say this, ever. I don't know how to do it because I'm going to show you how to do it. It's not hard. And we're going to put a tool in your hands so simple, so reproducible. A little child can use it. A middle schooler can use it. A teenager can use it. A, an adult can use it. Listen, I'm through this. When God sent Jesus to die for our sins, he was saying, I couldn't care more for you. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was saying, I couldn't care more for you. When we share with others how they can be connected to a God through Jesus Christ, we're saying, I could not care more for you. How can we not care more for others knowing that God could not care more for us? Let's pray together.